1: The only shelter from the coming storm.
2: Lord Jesus, my heart is anguished, my heart is broken. I come today. Not knowing what to say or how to say it. I come depending on your Holy Spirit, for we are so comfortable in our Americanism. Oh Lord, how are you going to come? When we're not hungry. And when a little hunger comes up, we call it revival, and we play music, and we drown out your voice, and we turn you aside, and we're unsatisfied. Lord, my heart is anguished. For I see that we're not making progress. We're not making the progress necessary to come into your presence and be transformed and changed. Lord, I pray today that the word You've given me will, will cause us to make the decision to go get for ourselves an anguished heart, for there is no revival without an anguished heart. There is no change in our behavior without an anguished heart. Lord, I pray today you will come in power in everyone who listens to this broadcast. And you will cause us to determine to go and get for ourselves an anguished heart. That there would be no draining aside the conviction your Holy Spirit brings to us with foolishness. Lord, please come. I need you. Your church needs you. Come, Lord Jesus, and save your people. I pray in your holy name. Amen. Several times in my life, I've had an anguished heart. When my late wife died, I had an anguished heart. when other tragic things have occurred in my life, I've had an anguished heart. We have to go and get that anguished heart. And the way we get it is reading the scriptures and praying, seeing the reality, listening to straight, honest preaching, turning off the music, Turning off the entertainment, turning off the busyness, so that we have time to think and pray and be honest before God. Only an anguished heart will cause you to come and do business with God. Read carefully the letter written by John as Jesus gave it to him in Revelation, the third chapter of the church at Laodicea. They did not have an anguished heart. I want to read for you just a portion of the recounting of revival from a book entitled Holy Spirit Revivals by Charles Finney. It said that about a quarter of a million people made honest decisions to come into the life of Jesus Christ through his preaching, through the revivals that occurred under his preaching. He ministered in New York State, and in several other places in New England in the early 1800s. I'm going to read to you a portion of what happened in Antwerp. There were three Christian women in the entire village of Antwerp. he arrived there on a Friday and he called on these Christian women asking them if they would like to have a meeting. There was no church operating in Antwerp at that time. There was no Christian gathering. It was a barren field of wickedness. They said they would like to have a meeting. And so the wife of a merchant said, I'll open my parlor this evening for a meeting if you can find anyone who would like to attend. So Charles Finney went around town and he invited people, finding about 13 people who said they would like to come and listen. He writes, After I preached to them in the parlor, I said I would preach on Sunday if I could get the use of the village schoolhouse. I got the consent of the trustees and the next day the news of a sunday meeting morning a sunday morning meeting at the schoolhouse was spread throughout the entire village in going around the village i heard a vast amount of profanity more than in any place i'd ever visited it seemed as if the men no matter what they were doing were all cursing and swearing and damning each other I felt as if I had arrived upon the borders of hell. I had an awful feeling as I went around the village on Saturday. The very atmosphere seemed to me to be poison, and a kind of terror took possession of me. I gave myself to prayer on Saturday, and finally this answer came, Do not be afraid, but speak, and do not keep silent, for I am with you, and no one will attack to hurt you for I have many people in this city. Acts 18, 9 and 10. This completely relieved me of all fear. I found, however, that the Christian people were really afraid that something serious might happen if a religious meeting was again established in that place. But I could see that the news of my preaching at the schoolhouse had passed around the village enough to arouse quite an excitement. Sunday morning I arose and left my lodging in the hotel. In order to get alone, where I could let out my voice as well as my heart, I went up into the woods at some distance from the village and remained for a considerable time in prayer. However, I did not find relief. So I went up a second time, but the load upon my mind increased, and I found no relief. I went up a third time, and then the answer came. I found that it was time for the meeting and went immediately to the schoolhouse. It was packed to its utmost capacity. I had my pocket Bible in hand and read to them this scripture, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. John 3.16 I cannot remember much of what I said, but I know that the point I was trying to bring home was the treatment that God received in return for his love. The subject affected my own mind very much, and I preached and poured out my soul and my tears together. Attending the meeting were several of the men who were so profane the day before. I pointed them out and told them that they had what they had said, how they had called on God to damn each other. Indeed, I let loose my whole heart upon them. I told them they seemed to howl blasphemy in the streets like hellhounds, and it seemed to me that I had arrived on the very verge of hell. Everybody knew that what I said was true, and the people wept about as much as I did myself. I think there was scarcely a dry eye in the house. The keeper of the hotel had refused to open the church in the morning, but as soon as these first services came to an end, he arose and said to the people that he would open the church for the afternoon. The people scattered and carried the information in every direction, and in the afternoon the church was nearly as crowded as the schoolhouse had been in the morning. Everybody was at the meeting, and the Lord let me loose upon them in a wonderful manner. My preaching seemed to be something new to them. Indeed, it seemed to me as if I could rain hell and love upon them at the same time. In other words, that I could rain hail upon them in love. It seemed as if my love for God, in view of the abuse they had heaped upon Him, sharpened my mind to the most intense agony. I felt like rebuking them with all of my heart, and yet with a compassion that they could not mistake. I don't think they ever accused me of severity, although I think I never spoke a more severe word, perhaps, in my life. I want to stop a minute. There is a belief today, there is a practice today in most churches... That praise and worship will draw the Holy Spirit to a congregation. A number of old timers, including Charles Finney, all said the opposite. They would not sing more than one or two hymns, maybe three hymns, and no more singing. Because they were there to do business with God. You can't do business with God when you are being soothed by sentimental worship music. I know many of you will have difficulty with what I'm saying, but please hear me. When I look at Reese Howells, or I look at Bevington, I look at Finney, these men who held such powerful revivals. These were not music revivals. There's no such thing as a music revival. Soon, it will peter out and people will leave. I remember in my own case, when I was in high school, there was a move of God in the school. It was in a worship service where a man preached a very straight sermon to us. He did not guard our feelings, but addressed us as sinners and called us to repent. And there was a surging move for people to come and weep before God. No music playing, just weeping before God. I was a junior at the time was a boarding school. The service went on all day. It could have gone on longer, but the faculty brought it to a close and got everybody the next day back into class. I sat listening and watching, and I cried out to God. I was a very angry young man. I would engage in a fist fight at the drop of a hat. I had a white rage. I prayed. I confessed. I sat and wept in my seat. And I asked the Lord to take my anger. And instantly my anger was gone. And I've never been angry like that again. God did it. I want to say to you, it is the preaching of the word, or it is the convicting power of God that brings a man or a woman to a decision point where they anguish in their heart over the wickedness of their own soul, and they have revealed to them the the wickedness that they possess in their heart. It's not soothing sentimental worship that brings the holy spirit; it is it is confession of sin, it is repentance. It is being transformed into a new creature. And we are only deceiving ourselves if we constantly turn on the radio and listen to the so-called Christian music or we have the music playing at home all the time. God will not come to you. Or if a revival is simply playing music and people praising and worshiping God. Nothing really is going to happen there that will change the course of their history. It is only an anguished heart that calls the Holy Spirit to come and minister to our hearts. Revival comes out of confession and repentance and dealing with god so turn off your music turn off your entertainment turn off your cell phones turn off your internet get before god and do business with him the labors of the day says finney were effective in convincing most of the population convicting From that day, no matter where or when I would appoint a meeting, the people would throng to hear. The work immediately commenced and went forward with great power. I preached twice in the village church on Sundays, attended a prayer meeting at intermission, and generally preached somewhere, usually in a schoolhouse in the neighborhood, at five o'clock in the afternoon. On the third Sunday that I preached there, an aged man came in to me and said, "I was a, as I was approaching the pulpit, he asked me if I would go and preach in a schoolhouse in his neighborhood about three miles away, saying that they had never had a service there. He wished me to come as soon as I could. I told him I would come the next day, Monday at five o'clock in the afternoon. I want you to see something. Finney does not spare the feelings of people as he preaches. He preaches a straight, honest, hard, straight message, unvarnished, calling for repentance. Monday was a warm day. I left my horse at the village and thought I would walk the three miles so that I could stop and call on all the people in the neighborhood as I went toward the schoolhouse. However, before I reached the place, having worked so hard the day before, I found myself very much exhausted, and I sat down by the road and felt as if I could scarcely proceed. I blamed myself for not having taken my horse. I was therefore not able to call on anyone before five o'clock. But at the appointed hour, I found the schoolhouse full, and I could only find room to stand near the open door. I read a hymn, I cannot call it singing, for they seem never to have had any church music in that place. The people ventured to sing, but it amounted to each one bellowing out his own way. My ears had been cultivated by by teaching church music, and their horrible discord distressed me so much. I almost felt like I had to go out. I finally put both hands over my ears and held them with my full strength, but this did not shut out the discord. I withstood it, however, until they were through, and then I cast myself down on my knees, almost in a state of desperation, and began to pray. The Lord opened the windows of the heavens, and the spirit of prayer was poured out, and I let my whole heart out in prayer. I'd not thought about a text upon which to preach, but had waited to see the congregation. As soon as I'd finished praying, I rose from my knees and said, Get up! Get out of this place, for the Lord will destroy this city! Genesis nineteen fourteen. I then went on to explain this scripture, telling them about Abraham and his nephew, Lot, I explained their relationship to each other, their searching and separating from each other on account of differences between their herdsmen and that Abraham took the hill country while Lot settled in the valley of Sodom. I then told them how exceedingly wicked Sodom became and what abominable practices they fell into. I told them that the Lord decided to destroy Sodom and so he visited Abraham to inform him of what he was about to do. I said that Abraham prayed to the Lord to spare Sodom if he found so many righteous people there, and the Lord promised to do so for their sake. Abraham then asked God to save it for a fewer number of righteous people, and the Lord said he would spare it for their sakes. Abraham kept on reducing the number until he reduced the number of righteous people to ten, God promised him that if he found ten righteous people in the city, he would spare it. No further request was made, and God could find only one righteous person there, and that was Lot. Then the men said to Lot, "'Have you anyone else here, son-in-law, your sons, your daughters, whomever you have in this city? Take them out of this place.'" we will destroy this place because the outcry against them has grown great before the face of the Lord and the Lord has sent us to destroy it. Genesis 19. While I was relating these facts, I observed the people looking as if they were angry. Many of the men looked at each other and at me as if they were ready to fall upon me and chastise me on the spot. I saw their strange and unaccountable looks and could not understand what I was saying that had so offended them. However, it seemed to me that their anger rose higher and higher as I continued the narrative. As soon as i had finished the narrative, I turned upon them and said that I understood that they had never had a religious meeting in this place, and that I therefore had a right to take it for granted that they were an ungodly people. I pressed that home upon them with more and more energy with my heart full, almost to bursting. I had not spoken to them in this direct manner for more than a, a quarter of an hour, when all at once an awful solemnity seemed to settle down upon them. The congregation began to fall from their seats in every direction and to cry for mercy. If I'd had a sword in each hand, I could not have cut them off their seats as fast as they fell. Indeed, nearly the whole congregation were either on their knees or on the floor in less than two minutes. Everyone prayed for himself who was able to speak at all. Of course, I was obligated to stop preaching, for there was no longer anyone paying attention. I said to them, you are not to hell yet. Now, let me direct you to Christ. For a few moments, I tried to hold forth the gospel to them, but scarcely any of them paid any attention. My heart was so overflowing with joy at this scene that I could hardly contain myself. It was with much difficulty that I refrained from shouting and giving glory to God. Now, please, my brothers and sisters, as you listen to this, I want you to understand this is what real revival is. It's when the power of God falls on a congregation and there's no longer any casual wandering about. Suddenly the whole congregation knows they're in the presence of Almighty God. Their hearts are anguished because of their sin. And they begin to fall on their faces before God. The whole congregation... and begin to cry out for God to deliver them, to spare them. As soon as I could sufficiently control my feelings, Finney says, I turned to a young man who was close to me and who was engaged in praying for himself. I laid my hand on his shoulder to get his attention and preached Jesus in his ear. As soon as I got his attention to the cross of Christ... believed was calm and quiet for a minute or two and then broke out in praying for the others i then turned to another and took the same course with him with the same result and then another and another in this way i continued until the time arrived when i had to leave them to go to fulfill an appointment in a village i told them this and i asked the old man who had invited me there to remain and take charge of the meeting while i went to my appointment he did so but there was too much interest and there was too many wounded souls to dismiss the meeting and so it was held all night in the morning there were still some who could not get away they were carried to private houses in the neighborhood in order to make room for the school In the afternoon, they sent for me to come back down there as they could not yet break up the meeting. When I went down the second time, I received an explanation of the anger shown by the congregation during the introduction of my sermon the day before. I learned that the town was called Sodom, that that there was only one pious man in the place. They called him Lot. This was the old man who had invited me there. The people supposed that I'd chosen my subject and had preached to them in the manner because they were so wicked as to be called Sodom. This was a striking coincidence, but as far as I was concerned, it was altogether accidental. Although this revival came upon them so suddenly, and such was of a powerful type, the converts were sound and the work permanent and genuine. I never heard of any disastrous reaction after after this preaching took place. I want you to hear what I'm trying to say to you today. Revival comes to anguished hearts. And it's not the singing of sentimental Christian music that brings an anguished heart. That's what soothes the heart and prevents it from getting to God. It's sharp preaching. It's prayer. It's doing business with God. It's when God comes and reveals to us our heart and we become anguished because we see the condition of our heart or we see the condition of other people's hearts. And within us, rises up a great cry of oh god deliver us have mercy upon us have mercy o oh god i need you jesus and we begin to deal with specific areas of laziness Of giving ourselves away to the entertainment of the world. Of giving ourselves over to... Do I dare say it? The culture of the American church. Which is... Kumbaya music. Sweet by and by. To rituals... But not doing business with God. Very seldom have I ever seen a group of people who are willing to do business with God. The last time I saw it was the many years ago in the Jesus revival, as I sat with a whole group of college young people, and there was no strumming of the guitar. It was a room packed with young people. And all they could do is cry out to God and repent of their sin and plead with God to come and give them a new heart. With tears, crying out to God. This is revival. This was the Jesus movement. It was not sentimental. It was young sinners who said, I've got to get right with God. I remember sitting with Chuck Smith, the pastor in California. He said, these young people, hippies, filthy, dirty, stinking, sexually unclean, drugs god called them into the church so that's the only place they knew to go he said his members objected some foolish man called chuck smith a has-been pastor he was not a has-been pastor he was a tremendous man of god he taught the scriptures straight These young people came in. The members wouldn't sit beside him because they stinks so bad. But the young people kept crowding in and crowding in. Finally they they had him sit on the carpet in the aisles and in the front of the church. And Chuck Smith took up his Bible and he began to preach to them repentance and salvation. And these young hippies gave up their smoking and their drinking and their drugging. They gave up their sexual promiscuity. They turned from their sins and they were washed and made clean. He took them down to the ocean and would baptize two or three hundred of them in an afternoon. This was revival. It left a permanent, indelible mark on the lives of people who with anguish in their hearts turned from their sin. And they were washed and made clean. In Finney's revival, story after story I could share with you, men and women offended by preaching, Now, sometimes revivals have not started with preaching. Revivals have started with with prayer. Where a man or a woman begins to pour out his honest or her honest heart to God. And God comes and meets them. I don't know of any real revival that has ever started With sentimental Christian music. When I look at Hebrews, the second chapter, verse 3, how shall we escape if we ignore such a great salvation? What does it mean, ignore such a great salvation? It means put our confidence in the music. Put our confidence in our entertainment. Put our confidence in each other. No. You are ignoring a great salvation if you do not place your confidence in Jesus Christ. And ask him to give to you a full revelation of your condition before him. Revival comes when men and women know their real condition and their heart rises up and they say, I must have Jesus. This is his street. This dear brother Seymour, I'm eager to meet him in heaven. He believed that a man could not walk in known sin and enter heaven. There was no such thing in his understanding as a sinning Christian. The so-called finished work where Jesus forgave your past, present, and future sins. If you believe that, it will have to be crushed from your heart before you can be revived. Because you've believed a lie, you have neglected a great salvation offered by Jesus Christ. We have rituals in which we follow church calendars and and church decor and church. It makes me sick to even talk about it. I was invited to speak briefly at an Anglican church. And so I did. And I spoke about revival. And when I was finished with my brief portion, there was a great round of applause as people said, yes, yes. And then I went and stood at the back of the church and took my seat in one of the last pews And then suddenly everything began to roll along as it was supposed to go in the order of service that they had. And and I watched as a family with two young people in their family as they sat in the worship service. And I watched as many other young people sat in the worship service playing on their cell phones, video games. I walked out and went to the men's room. And here was a young teenager banging his head against the wall in the hallway, weeping. And one of the associate pastors was there trying to comfort him. It wasn't comfort that young man needed. He needed a straight confrontation with his sin and a call for him to surrender to Jesus Christ. But that's not what he got. He he got just a nice sentimental, there, there, it'll be all right. You'll feel better in a little bit. I wanted to vomit. I walked out of the church. Heartbroken. I don't play when it comes to things of God. I don't play about anything. For me, life is very serious because I see the coming crash of the economy. It's already crashing. I see the coming third world war that's already started. I see the delusion of people that think everything's going to continue as it is now and we're good to go. No, you're not good to go if you are Laodicean, if you're lukewarm, if you don't have an anguished heart for God and for the lost. You're not good to go. You're caught up in your work. You're caught up in your entertainment. You're caught up in, in yourself. That has to change. You have to change. Go get yourself an anguished heart. And how do you do that? By cutting off all of the extraneous things. Turning off your television. Turning off your music. Turning off your cell phone. Turning off, turning off, turning off. Getting to God. And crying aloud to him. And asking him, Oh God, show me my heart. Doing business with him. Oh God, you're the only one who can make a man holy. You're willing to call us brothers and sisters. You're willing to include us in your family, but we have been a part of the family of the devil. We thought this culture was was just fine. Our heart is not turned by the nudity, by the sexual perversion, by the killing of babies, by war. Lord, our heart is not anguished over the sin of our nation. It's not anguished over our our own coldness and lukewarmness of heart. There has to be a change. Lord, I come today pleading with you to lift up men and women who will preach an honest word of righteousness, who will not spare the feelings of your people, but will preach a straight and honest word that will alert them and put them on guard and say, I must get to God and I must get for myself an anguished heart that you can come and deal with me. Oh, Lord. Lord. How long, how long will you put up with this modern church before you just sweep us all away? Lord, I plead your mercy today for your people. Lord, many would say, oh, I'm seeking after God and I'm living as best I know how. But there's no anguish of heart. There's not any crying out to God. There's little devotionals in the morning and then off to work. Timid little testimonies. Then coming home and turning on the television. Turning on the football game. How many Lord Christians sat and drank in the whole Super Bowl utterly Evil, utterly wicked. But it didn't seem that way to them because they're accustomed to the taste of the of the devil's feast. Lord, the NFL is the devil's food. Lord, then off to shopping. And then off to. Some pleasant diversion, a movie, paying bills, talking about vacations, planning the next event. Busy, 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 but no anguish of heart, Lord God. How can we ever be saved? How can revival ever happen when there's no anguished heart? In your people, they've been preached to with smooth words that tickle their ears. They think they're fine, Lord, but we're not fine. We're dying. And we'll be cast away. Lord, please come. Please come and give us very specific direction on what you want us to do and what you don't want us to do. Lord, speak to your people. Lord, many have heard so many convicting sermons, a little convicting, or they've listened here or to another preacher who preaches straight, unvarnished, and they've grown harder and harder and harder in their hearts. Instead of repenting, They've blown off the warning. So they still live with that woman that they're not married to. They still live with that man they're not married to. They still walk in their pornography. They still walk in their wickedness before you. They still walk in their gambling. They still walk in casualness before you, Almighty God. Walking around like everything is normal. Everything's okay. We've got our wonderful, sweet... Oh, Lord, we've still got our cotton-candy Jesus who would never speak a harsh word to us, who would never rebuke us. Lord, we ask Peter, did Jesus rebuke you harshly? Yes, he said, get thee behind me. Lord, there has to be a change in the preaching. There has to be a change. There has to be an anguish in our hearts because we're so far from you and an anguish in our hearts for your people. An anguish in our hearts that's larger than our financial concern or entertainment concern. Come, Lord Jesus, I pray in your holy name. Amen. Well, you've been listening to Pilgrim's Progress. I'm Pastor Ray from the National Prayer Chapel. Please, I'd love to hear from you. I'm praying that Jesus will move in your heart to provide the resources to continue on the radio. We go month to month to month. You can write to me at Pastor Ray Greenley, National Prayer Chapel, Post Office Box 2346, Woodbridge, Virginia, 22195. That's Pastor Ray Greenley. National Prayer Chapel. Post Office Box 2346, Woodbridge, Virginia. Two two one nine five. You can also go online and give as the Holy Spirit calls you to give. This is not listener-sponsored radio. This is Holy Spirit-sponsored radio. He's the one who comes and moves in the heart of his people for the work of the gospel. So go to our webpage, nationalprayerchapel.com. That's nationalprayerchapel.com. You can give online. You can also listen to this broadcast again. It will be posted this evening. There has to be a change. If you want God to do something, you have to do something first. You must go and get an anguished heart now. He will not move while you're fat and happy, comfortable. He will move when you finally begin to confess your lukewarmness. Or your coldness. God bless you, my brother, my sister. I love you. You've been listening to Pilgrim's Progress. I'll talk to you soon.
1: of his glory with great joy with great joy to the only God our Savior through
0: Jesus Christ